great day today. My name is Matthew Spazzitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economic. Guys, what is up? Hope you guys are having a great week today. Yeah, so if you guys are joining me for the very first time, you know, we talk here on the show, we cover a lot of different subjects, but the two primary subjects we talk about is financial freedom and economics. Now, what are those things? Financial freedom is ultimately the process of taking control over the source of your income. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I don't care who you are, but if you work for somebody else, you know, and many of you may be in this boat, and if you're not, many of you will may very well even be aware of this and may learn this uh, in this year or next year when this recession really takes a dive. But ultimately, when you're relying on income from someone else, you aren't really truly free. You are what we like, what we hear, we hear on the Matthew Spazzitti program like to call a wage slave. And that's not just a leftist term or anything of the sort. That is a, that is a very real thing, right? You are enslaving yourself to the employer for a paycheck. And guys, what is the number one thing that determines whether or not you are free? Like whether or not you are true, you truly have liberty. It's your wealth, it's where your wealth comes from, how much money you have, who controls the source of that income. That's what truly defines you as being free. That's what defines your freedom. That's what determines your freedom. It's not going to the election box. That's what everyone thinks makes you free. You got to go to the election. You got to vote for Trump. Vote for Trump. He'll fix the problem. He'll fix the United States, right? Or vote for Biden. You know, Biden will do it. That's just what the ruling class wants you to think. You see, it's really an illusion to keep you dependent on the system that they've created for us or that other people have created for us, but they're in charge of. But the truth, ladies and gentlemen, is that taking control of the source of your income is the number one thing that you can do for yourself, your family, in order to become financially free. That's what financial freedom is. And it's also being debt-free. So there's two components to financial freedom. Becoming debt-free, not being a debt slave. Okay, we call that being a debt slave. And then not becoming, and then controlling the source of your income so that you're not a wage slave. Okay? That, ladies and gentlemen, is ultimately what financial freedom is all about. I mean, let's be honest. We've all faced off layoffs at one point in time in our lives, and they suck, and they're scary, particularly when it's not an isolated event. If you just get laid off during good times because of an isolated event with regards to your business, you typically there are other jobs. It's not that big of a deal. You'll get another job maybe within a few months, but when it's in a bad economy, there aren't a lot of jobs to be had. I don't know if you guys remember. Maybe you might be too young or whatnot, or maybe you just weren't paying attention, but in 2008, you know, there were executives, high up managers that were working, that were, were greeters at Walmart, which is usually a job 
reserved for retirees, you know, um, that's normally the, the type of people who are in that type of job. But in this case, no, it was high up executives who couldn't get a job. They took anything, anything just to bring in a little bit of income. These people had years upon years upon years of experience. And, and I, I don't know what else to tell you, but guys, it was, it was not good. And I know that when my wife and I got married, you know, we got married in 2011, right? So that wasn't, uh, you know, the, the, the indexes, the S&P 500 in particular bottomed out in 2009, didn't really recover till 2012. So that's like two years, you know, uh, after the, the financial crisis actually had occurred and bottomed out and we were in the recovery stage. And I know that when my wife graduated guys, it took her a long time to actually get a job. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't want to be dependent on somebody else for your income. Not if you can help it. You want to create the wealth on your own. It's not easy. I mean, it's simple, but it isn't easy. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it, right? But it's important. You need to become free. It's the only way to achieve true freedom. You don't become free by voting. You you, you become free by taking control over the source of your income. And the other thing that we talk about on the show is we talk about economics, ladies and gentlemen. You know, economics is what gives us the frame, the the glasses, if you will, to view the situations that are occurring in the world. Economics is what helps us to understand the different circumstances that exist, to understand how to view different situations and circumstances that are happening in our world, and how to ultimately you could probably say even predict the future. Now, economics is very good for seeing the writing on the wall, for seeing the things that are in the future, that are coming down the pipeline, and for kind of predicting what's going to happen. Economics is very bad at timing those things, though. And that's ultimately the truth. So, guys, economics is what helps us to understand human behavior, why humans take action. So there's the study of human action, which is the study of praxeology it was actually a, a field of study that was largely created by Ludwig von Mises of the Austrian Econo- School of Economics. And it's a really, really cool, you know, field of study, but it, it operates like this. Humans act, right? Duh. Obviously they do. But why do they act? Why do they make the decisions that they're making? What are the incentives that are causing them to do this? And that's ultimately why we'd study economics because economics is incredibly valuable. It helps us determine how people are going to behave given the, the incentives that you are giving them and how that's going to affect the economy as a whole. And it's going to help us to see things that everyone doesn't see. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right this, right here and right now. If you are here today, you are going to be more well-educated than the vast majority of the of the world. Not just America, but the world in itself. I don't say that out of arrogance. The reason I say that is because it's true. The reason I say that is because the vast majority of the world doesn't understand the kind of things that we talk about here. Whether it's forex trading, whether it's economics, whether it's controlling the source of your income, investing, whatever it is, most people don't understand this kind of stuff. Okay, just most people don't. I, 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 I'm telling you the truth. I try to have conversations with normal people about this kind of stuff. Their their eyes just, just gloss over, you know? They're like, uh, I have no idea what the heck this guy's talking about. He's like a super genius. It's like, I'm really not a super genius. Yeah, I am absolutely, you know, smart and whatnot, but I'm, I'm no super genius. I just have studied things that most people don't understand, don't even know exist. So guys, if you if you want to be smarter than everyone else, You come to the show, you listen, you come here every week, 
I wish I could do it every day, but unfortunately I can't. But, you know, guys, this is what's going to tell you what's going to happen. If you want to know what's going to happen in the future tomorrow, you're going to have to listen to the show today. Right? You know, <laughs> be honest, I totally stole that that saying off of uh, one of my mentors. He's got a show and he says the same thing. But it's true, though. You see, we, me, me and my mentor, we talk about the same kind of stuff, right? We talk about economics, financial freedom. You know, one of the reasons I do the show was because I loved what he was doing. I loved it so much. I said, I want to do what he does. And I don't just want to have a podcast and teach courses. I literally want to do what he does. I want to talk about the concepts that he talks about. I want to learn about it. I want to know him better than he does. And I'm still not there yet, or at least, well, it depends on what we're talking about. There are some things where I think I actually know better than him, but there are a lot of things that he definitely has topped me on. That being said, though, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great saying, and it's so true. If you, if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow in the future, you come and you listen to the show today. So that being said, let's go ahead and hop into the episode and what we're going to talk about. So with this whole uh, idea of knowing what's going to happen in the future, in, in past episodes, okay, uh, before we actually get into this, hey, I want to invite you to take the 10 episode challenge. If you're new here, if you haven't done this before, guys, the 10 episode challenge is where I challenge you to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of the show. And the main reason I do this is because, look, I think there's a lot of value that you're going to get if you go back and you listen to the past 10 episodes. There is so much value in each one of the episodes that I'm doing. You guys are really missing out if you don't go back and you listen to the last 10. If you want to do more, you know, last 20, last 30, whatever. If you just absolutely love this show and you can't get enough, you know, we got over 50 episodes here. You got plenty of time. You can binge listen as much as you want, you know, and hey, now's the time to do it because um, frankly, if you love it that much, I'm eventually going to be in the hundreds of thousands someday. And uh, yeah, binge listening, <laughs> you won't be able to do it. So uh, the, you, you guys are finding me at the very birth of my show. I mean, we're still very young here. The show is very young. And I'm not talking about my age. I mean, okay, look, yeah, I'm 31, right? So, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the show. The show is in its infancy, okay? Very, very small right now, you know, and we're building, we're growing. You know, I think I actually technically, I officially started the show like sometime in 2019. So I've been doing it for, a, you know, a little over a year at this point. And still, there have been a lot of other stuff that's, that I've been doing as well. But, you know, this show has been a big, big passion project of mine. I absolutely love it. But that said, look, if you love what I'm doing here, you need to go listen to the last 10 episodes. And on top of that, you know, what's more, we don't talk about stuff in a vacuum, whether it's news, whether it's politics, economics, entrepreneurship, we don't talk about things in a vacuum here, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to, I'm going to be referencing stuff in the past couple episodes you guys aren't even going to know about, and I'm about to do that right now. I'm about to reference something in the past shows, and you're, you're not even going to know what I'm referencing because you didn't go back and listen. And I'm not going to re-describe it entirely for you, okay? That would take the, that would take a lot of time. So if you guys want to know what I'm talking about, if you want to get the best value out of the show, the most value, then you need to go and listen to the last 10 episodes. Okay, that said though, what I'm talking about today is we're going to be talking about COVID-19. 
Okay, there's been a lot of articles that have been pumping out here. I'm going to include them in the show notes if you guys want to read them yourself. They're great. I've read all of them. I absolutely love them. And really, the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, has really come out and stated a lot of things that I think is very profound. Things that we have talked about in past episodes, right? I even mentioned in the past episode that, in past episodes, that ultimately, you know, they're going to start shifting the narrative. You're going to, as we get closer and closer to the election, you're going to see the narrative shift. And you're going to see it shift from COVID is killing people, COVID is dangerous, to, oh, well, maybe COVID's not so bad. Oh, well, you don't have to lock down. Lockdowns are not that great. You know, they hurt everyone else. They hurt the economy. Let's not do lockdowns. That's a terrible way of handling this. Oh, well, you know, the virus really isn't a big deal. You know, you're going to start seeing the narrative shift. This is what I said. Why did I say this? Because this is what has to happen. Look, if they want a voter turnout at all, they're going to have to kill the virus. They're going to have to downplay. They're going to have to reverse track on the and reverse the whole narrative that this is a killer virus. It's going to kill your grandmother. It's going to kill your 70-year-old, you know, grandmother, grandfather. Look, I don't mean to diminish the deaths, okay? I you know, if if there are there are many people who have died and it's a terrible thing. But even with that said, the virus was never anything to worry about. And we've said this in other episodes. I said this in other episodes. It wasn't anything to worry about. I did, you know, I took the whole stance. I took a very hard line stance. When everyone was suggesting lockdowns, I said, I don't care how bad the virus gets. I don't think, I, I personally did not believe the virus was that bad. But I said, you know, I don't care. I don't care how bad it gets. There people could be dying in the streets. You do not lock down an economy. You're going to kill more people. You're going to make the situation worse. Are you a moron? I don't care if people are falling dead in the streets. You do not lock down an economy because you are going to cause even more deaths. And that's exactly what's happening. Excess deaths, you know, basically deaths that are not already accounted for a year. See, every time uh, we go through a year, right, there are agencies out there and publications that basically try to estimate the amount of deaths that are going to happen in any one given year. And there's an average number of deaths that they, that they basically account for. And an excess death is any death that is above that average, what they're estimating, right? And usually this estimate is based, again, it's based off of historical data. It's based off of years and years worth of data, you know, previous years and whatnot. So, you know, in the end, these types of calamities, economic, and I'm talking about economic calamities, okay? When this type of stuff happens, when in 2008, when that happened, you see an increase in the number of excess deaths that exist in the year. You know, people who didn't get care that should have gotten care for maybe cancer. You know, The Lancet, which is a a medical publication, a very, very well-respected medical publication, came out and actually said an excess of 200 and I think 228,000 people, something like that, died of cancer, just of cancer in 2008. Why? Because... People lost their jobs, they lost their lost their healthcare, and they couldn't get they couldn't get the care they needed for their cancer. They couldn't get treated early enough. Now, the Lancet was trying to use this as an excuse to do universal healthcare coverage, right? They wanted the Affordable Care Act. They were trying to say that everybody needs free healthcare so that people don't have to go without care, and we can reduce the number of people that are dying who don't have healthcare coverage, right? It sounds like a good sentiment emotionally. I mean, yes, it would be nice if everyone had access to healthcare. Absolutely. But the fact remains is you're going to have to steal the money from someone else in order to do that. 
And who are you going to steal from? The people who create jobs. The people, the rich and the wealthy, the people who actually produce something and and make the world ultimately a better place. I mean, ask yourself this question. Would the world be a better place without the internet? Would it be a better place without Apple products, Microsoft, video games, the PlayStation 4, TVs, microwaves, ovens, laptops for that matter, computers in general? Now you can buy a 3D, a desktop 3D printer. I mean, for those of you guys who don't even know, that's a really cool piece of tech out there. That's a really, really cool technology. You can manufacture your own plastic products. Granted, th- there are some downsides to it, but it's still pretty cool. I mean, all the streaming services, YouTube. I mean, I can do this show from anywhere in the world, ladies and gentlemen, anywhere. I just, all I got to have is a recording, you know, recording software. I got to have a computer and an internet connection. That's really it. I mean, there's a few other things, but that's pretty much it. I don't have to have much. None of those things ever would have been created had it not been for entrepreneurs who wanted to make money by also making other people's lives better. But they weren't driven out of the out of the, the fact that they're just philanthropists and they just wanted to do it as a charity. No, they did it because they wanted to increase their own wealth. You see, the best way, and this is one of the beautiful things about capitalism, all right? For those of you guys who haven't been listening long enough, I mean, look, if you know me, you know I'm a capitalist, all right? Through and through. But you see, I have an interesting view of capitalism that not many people do, particularly if you're coming from the left. You may not have this kind of view of capitalism, but I believe... That true capitalism is one where you can become rich and wealthy by helping other people, by fixing other people's problems, by providing value to others. It's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I can achieve a massive amount of wealth and all I got to do is make someone else's life better. Guys, that's what capitalism really is. Capitalism is not the greedy rich man ripping off the poor and screwing them and selling them a product that sucks or, you know, crap like that, you know, selling them some kind of investment that turns out bad or claiming that they're selling the an investment that they're not actually doing, kind of like Bernie Madoff, you know, oh yeah, well, I'll give you a certain amount of, uh, you know, a consistent return on your investment. Was he really investing their money? No, no, he wasn't. No, he was just taking investments from the older investors, and I don't mean older in terms of age, but older in- investors in the in the terms of the investors that got involved first, the more senior investors who, who had actually gotten involved first with Bernie Madoff. He was just taking the income from them, from their money that they were giving him, and he was giving it to the newer investors. He was giving it to, to the older investors as well, you know, the people who just got involved in his stuff, but he was also giving it to the newer investors, and this basically went on for a while up until uh, he stopped acquiring investors. And really what happened is I think his uh, his sons came out and, and, and ratted him out for the thing. I, I think that's actually what happened. I'm not entirely sure, so don't quote me on that. But, you know, basically he got caught and then nobody wanted to invest with him anymore. And um, yeah, what? and by the way, if that system sounds familiar, it's called a Ponzi scheme and it's what Social Security is. It's exactly what Bernie Madoff was doing. He was, he was performing social security and yet it was illegal for him to do it, but it's okay for the U S government to do it all day long. That said though, ladies and gentlemen, 
that would be one example of it, but that's not what capitalism really is. It, what that is, that's crony capitalism. You know, most people have a very bad taste in their mouth of big corporations because they hire lots of people. You know, those people put good years into those companies, like seven, 10 years, if not more, and then they get laid off without even a hesitation. Corporations, lots of times, do bad things, you know, things that, like, they don't, they're not, they don't appear as though they care about people. They don't want to appear always as though they care about the environment. And at least this is usually the criticisms that you hear. I'm not saying I agree with all that stuff, but this is the type of criticisms that you hear about big corporations. And a lot of people don't like them for this very reason. But the fact remains, it's that big corporations, I mean, has anyone ever asked the question is that it, it, would they even exist if it hadn't been for the government that basically gives, enacts regulations that keep out competition, that keep the big companies on top? You know, has anyone ever thought of that? I, I have. I don't even know if those big corporations would be anywhere near as big. What if today you were to actually take those big corporations and it, all the laws surrounding health and safety that are that are really preached as though they're they're the to the benefit of everyone else, but it makes it a lot more expensive for competition to come in and compete against the bigger guys. What if you took all that away? the bigger companies, the bigger corporations, the mega companies, these wouldn't be mega anymore. They'd have to trim down. They'd have to remake themselves into a lean fighting machine type of thing. They'd have to become leaner, more mobile. There's no way that they would be able to be as big as they are today if they had to compete against with with real powerful market forces. Guys, the markets are powerful things. It is a powerful thing. And it can incentivize people to do amazing, amazing things. Yes, it can incentivize people to do terrible things too. It is true. But it, it can incentivize the world to become a beautiful place. If only it was allowed to do so. And the fact remains is that big corporations, so many people get upset about them. But let's be honest, they are largely a byproduct of big governments. And I don't think we'd have anywhere near the type of mega corporations we have today if it wasn't for the benefits that the big corp the big government gives them. I just don't think we would. But that said, that's crony capitalism. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is where you go out and you come up with a product or a service that enriches somebody's life, that ultimately makes someone's life better, and they pay you for it. So not only do you get the benefit of becoming rich and wealthy, you also get the benefit of helping someone. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But guys, we have gotten off topic. And so let's go ahead and get back into it. Guys, we are talking about the World Health Organization. Okay. It, like I said in past episodes, we've already talked about this before, where really I've been saying that this whole freaking, you know, COVID-19 thing was nothing that anybody needed to worry about. That this virus was really no worse than the flu. And that ultimately they're going to be shifting the narrative because they really don't care. They don't, it's really not that dangerous. They made a, I'm not saying the virus doesn't exist. The virus exists, absolutely. But here's the thing. The fear and the pandemonium that was around it was totally created. It was totally manufactured for the purpose of, in effect, controlling everybody else, of crashing the economy, of lining the pockets of businesses, of controlling businesses more. Because there were winners in this whole thing. There were people that were benefiting directly from this. Amazon was one of them. Okay. Pharmaceutical companies, another. 
with the whole vaccine that that, that, that they think we absolutely need. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people who have benefited from this whole thing. Okay? And the governments, the politicians, yeah, they got their, their pockets lined. Because of all the stimulus checks that they're handing out, there are companies that are paying their lobbyists to come out to make sure that they get that money. And there are many companies that are receiving a lot more money than really I don't think that, that they deserve in terms of the pain. They haven't really been hurt badly enough to really justify that kind of money. I mean, consider Apple, for example. Apple has more money than the U.S. government. And yet when they heard that the Federal Reserve was going to be, you know, basically buying bonds through BlackRock, I want to say. I think it was BlackRock, the investment firm. What Apple decided to do was basically to release, I think, eight, I want to say, gosh, I I talked about this in in another episode. I think it's $8 billion in bonds, something like that. You know, they just started issuing bonds. Disney did it too. Lots of companies did it. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I didn't. I don't exactly think that Apple was one of the major hit companies here. I don't think they were one of the companies that actually des- that needed the money. And yet they got it. Or at least they, they're trying to get it. They're trying to flood as much of it to them, you know, capture as much of that money to them as they possibly can. This whole crisis... Uh, uh, this economic crisis, this whole thing about COVID-19, ladies and gentlemen, the the narrative that it's a killer virus, the fear of the pandemonium, it was all manufactured to line the pockets of big corporations, politicians, because they're in bed with each other, line the pockets of the media. They fall under big corporations, right? That category. To give the politicians more power, more control, to allow big corporations to buy up smaller companies, their competitors, so they can gain more market share and have less, even less competition. This was all a manufactured crisis. Sure, the virus is real. The crisis was manufactured. The crisis was caused by the governments. The crisis was caused by the media, by the local governments, by the federal government. The narrative was manufactured, it was created, and this is what we're dealing with today. But now, the narrative is shifting, just like I said it would. I said a couple shows back that they were going to shift the narrative, and ultimately, because they got to get people out to vote, so they have to start killing this virus off. They've got to make it, they got to start downplaying it. They got to start making it seem like the virus is no big deal anymore. And here we are. There are, the WHO is coming out and the WHO has done two things. The WHO, first and foremost, has accidentally confirmed that COVID-19 is no more dangerous than the flu. And they also ended up reversing course. And now they advise against using lockdowns. Which is so funny because they were the ones who were in favor of the lockdowns not that long ago. And now they're turning away and saying, oh, well, you know, we don't really want them to do lockdowns. You know, lockdowns are hurting the poor, the poor. So, you know, we don't really think that it's a good idea. And th- and now they're saying, and they even came out and they started talking about these numbers with regards to how many people have gotten the flu, how many people have died. And really, when you actually do the numbers, the simplistic math that it is, you realize, oh, it's no wor- it's no worse than the flu. And we've all been duped. Well, if you were listening to this show, you haven't. You know that this was nothing nothing to be concerned with in the first place. 
I mean, I, I look, there were moments at the beginning where I was a little unsure about it, but I, I still said, lock, no, I don't care how bad it gets, lockdowns are not necessary. But even then, I was skeptical that it was anywhere near as severe as everyone was saying that it was, right? I, I guess it just comes from my very contrarian nature. I come from a very right-wing Christian conservative background. I'm not a conservative anymore. I still very much am a Christian, absolutely. But I'm not, I don't. I wouldn't classify myself as a conservative, although I still have a lot of opinions that are conservative. I wouldn't say that I am one anymore. I have a lot of opinions today that are not conservative a- at all anymore. You know, but that said, though, you know, when you when you come from that kind of background, you do all automatically because you're taught that you want to minimize government. You want to be skeptical of government. So you automatically have this contrarian way of thinking that's kind of, uh, you know, bred in, you know, built into you from day one, you know, and stuff like that. And I was also homeschooled as well. So my parents also got to tailor my education to what they felt I needed to know, which was by far one of the biggest blessings I can ever have asked for. It was the, one of the greatest gifts. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to give your child the greatest gift, homeschool them. Become highly educated yourself in economics, in, you know, civics and government and things of that nature. You know, learn that stuff and then homeschool your kids. I guarantee you'll do a better job than the public school system. A lot of people don't think that they will do a better job. You will do a better job, okay? I mean, as long as you're not being a super lazy bum about it and you're not, like, actually treating it seriously, you're going to do a better job. And it's one of the best gifts you can give your kids, a proper education taught by you. You see, I actually hold the response, and we'll get, I'm sorry, I'm getting off track one more time, but look, I hold the, the, the belief that we as parents decided to have children, right? Whether they were intentional or purpose, whatever. We have a responsibility of taking care of them, of feeding them, but we also have a responsibility of educating them of teaching them about Christianity, if you are a Christian, if teaching them about economics, we have, it's not somebody else's responsibility, i.e. the government or a teacher. It's not their responsibility to teach our kids. It's our responsibility to teach our own children. It's not someone else's. It's our responsibility. And it's wrong to have People go out, steal money so that we can have our kids go to school basically for free. Well, we think it's for free. We, we all know it's not. But that's my opinion. It's our responsibility to teach our kids. It's our responsibility for their, we are responsible for their education, not somebody else. And so everybody wants to pass that, that kind of responsibility down, I mean, to somebody else. And I think, I think that's terrible. So if you want to give your kid the best gift you can possibly give them, homeschool them, teach them, find a way to do it. And if nothing else, make sure you understand what the heck they're being taught. And if you can, the best, if you can't teach them, then at least put them in a private school where they're going to get better education than public schools. Okay. Public school is, is not, I mean, the, the quality of that education is, has been declining for quite some time. And I'll be completely honest, it's no more, I don't think it's any more than glorified day, a daycare, a glorified daycare so that you don't have to pay a daycare to watch your kids so that you can go work at your job. That's what I think it is. It's a glorified daycare, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to piss a lot of you off. You know, it's the truth. You need to hear it. It's, it's the cold, hard truth. 
okay? But that, that said, though, you know, with regards to the World Health Organization, I'm going to read this article here. This is from, coming to you from off-guardian.org. It's called Off-G is the name. But it says, who accidentally confirms COVID is no more dangerous than the flu? The World Health Organization has finally confirmed what we and many experts and studies have been saying for months. The coronavirus is no more deadly or dangerous than the seasonal flu. The WHO's top brass made this announcement during a special session of the WHO's 34-member executive board on Monday, October 5th. It's just nobody seemed to really understand it. In fact, they didn't seem to, to completely understand it themselves. At the session, Dr. Michael Ryan, the WHO's head of emergencies, revealed that they believe roughly 10% of the world has been infected with SARS-CoV-2. This is their best estimate and a huge increase over the number of officially recognized cases, around 35 million. Dr. Margaret Harris, a WHO spokeswoman, later confirmed the figure, stating it was based on the average results of all the broad seroprevalence studies done around the world. As much as the WHO were attempting to spin this as a bad thing, Dr. Ryan even said it means the vast majority of the world remains at risk. It's actually good news and confirms once more that the virus is nothing like as deadly as everyone predicted. The global population is roughly around 7.8 billion people. If 10% have been infected, that is only 780 million cases. The global death toll currently attributed to SARS-CoV-2 infections is 1,061,539. That's an infection fatality rate of roughly or 0.14%, right in line with the seasonal flu and the predictions of many experts from around the world. And not just right-wing experts, by the way, there were lots of doctors that were, and even, um, you know, Nobel laureates that were saying that this is nothing to worry about. Okay, it wasn't just far right wing Trumpist, you know, wasn't just people like that. This was legitimately, these were people who probably voted Democrat many times in their life. These are people that maybe are probably more kind of in the middle of the spectrum of the political spectrum. Maybe even they're a bit on the left. They were saying this was nothing to be concerned about. And yet, you know, everyone dismissed them as, you know, being crazy. But anyways, so 0.14% is over 24 times lower than the WHO's provincial figure of 3.4% back in March. This figure was used in the models, which were used to justify lockdowns and other draconian policies. In fact, given the overreporting of alleged COVID deaths, the IFR is likely even lower than 0.14% and could show COVID to be much less dangerous than the flu itself. None of the mainstream press picked up on this, though many outlets reported Dr. Ryan's words. They all attempted to make it a scary headline and spread more panic and fear. Apparently, neither they nor the WHO were capable of doing the simple math that shows us this good news and that the COVID skeptics have been right all along. Now, he goes on to say here, he does an update here that says that in the interest of thoroughness, a desire to rely on primary sources and not depending purely on mainstream sources, which may remove or amend articles, I decided to find the actual video of Dr. Ryan's remarks. For some reason, although this was an important WHO meeting during an allegedly hyper-serious pandemic, the video is hard to find. The only place you'll be able to see it is the WHO's own website, and even then, you had to scrub through almost six hours of footage. Well, I did that for you, and you are welcome. You, you can't embed the WHO stream, but I can tell you 
you to go to this page and he offers a link and it says click session one and skip to one hour, one minute and 33 seconds to hear the exact quote. And then of course, here's the actual ripped audio. Many thanks to all the people who sent in their recordings. So here it, it at the very bottom, it actually gives you a, an audio player and you can like basically fast forward it to the time that he says and you can go ahead and actually hear the quote yourself if you're a little skeptic about it, all right? Which I think is ultimately pretty cool that he did that. Uh, it was it was a very good thing that he did it, and, and I, I personally think that, that it was a cool thing. So, got, ladies and gentlemen, look, that, that, is, that is really, I mean, 0.14%. That's well in line with seasonal flu statistics, okay? While they did not come out and actually say that it's no more deadlier than the flu, that number is well in line with flu statistics. Now, I have heard people say, because I brought this up to people that I that I love dearly in my life, and they said, well, Matthew, okay, so all you can say, you can't say that it's no deadlier than the flu. You can say that so far it's no deadlier than the flu. You know, what about next year? What about the year? Whatever. Okay, fine. I, I, you know what? If that's the way you're going to come about it, you're, you're missing the point. The point was, was that it was overblown. The point was, was that you just don't want to admit that you were duped, right? The point was, is that you want to actually rely on their information as the word of God type of thing. I mean, look, that that is literally, the point is, is you just, you want to believe what the narrative was. So you're throwing any kind of argument, which really, I mean, hey, that was a reasonable argument. I've heard much less reasonable than that. That was actually a fairly reasonable argument. And it's true. We only have a, a, a little bit of data, one year's worth of this COVID-19. Could it be possible next year? Who knows? I don't know. I don't think that it will be. In fact, I think it's nowhere near, I think it's actually less dangerous than the seasonal flu is. This is, in effect, a, a, another strand of the flu. It's just a different type of flu. That's, that's how I view this. This is effectively like strand C. You had strand A, strand B. Here is now, you know, SARS-CoV-2 strand C. That's how I view this. This is just going to be, I mean, it has symptoms that are similar to the flu, and it, but yet it's not nearly as infectious as the flu rate is. There's a lot of things about this that is very similar to the flu. Look, I, I view this as basically just another strand of the flu. Okay, but in but in many ways, I don't even think it's going to be anywhere near as dangerous. And I, judging by the fact that already 0.14% is in line with flu statistics. This is before we really had ways of treating it, right? We were figuring all that out this year. And there were people that were getting this and were getting really, really sick before they even knew what it was. Okay. I have people in my life that were like, Hey, come down. And were like really, really sick. And they were down for the count. I mean, it was really bad and they got tested for the flu and it wasn't the flu. Nobody knew what it was. So I'm I'm certainly of the camp that says that this was actually here before we really knew about it. But what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, this is not anything that we need to be worried about. This was all just manipulation. That's all this was. Just manipulation from the ruling class, from ultimately the media, the government. We've all been duped. We've all been heavily manipulated. And like I said, if, if you've been, <laughs> I said this already, but if, if you're part of the show, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you were not duped, right? If you listen to things that I've said in the past about how they were going to start, that this was all just a big, you know, massive scam. And, uh, you know, I mean, of course the virus is, is exist, it exists, but it's not anywhere near as deadly as they're all 
claiming to be. It was all political. You know, I, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know if it was because of Donald Trump. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if it was to shame Donald Trump and try to destroy his you know, political career and get him unelected. Honestly, that's what a lot of right-wing people are saying. I have a tendency to think there's way more involved than simply just that. I actually have a tendency to think that it was more about money, power, and control more so than anything else. Big companies wanted to get their pockets lined. They wanted to acquire more market share by getting rid of competitors, you know, smaller companies and their competition. You know, uh, basically politicians wanted to get their pockets lined via lobbyists and the other corporations and whatnot, you know, and politicians wanted to gain more power through regulation and things. That's what I think it was all about. It was all about the ruling class, the oligarchy that we have, right? The oligarchy that we have in America is we have a theocratically controlled oligarchy, a theocracy, if you will, a theocracy that's con- that, that, that ultimately controls this oligarchy. The, the theocracy isn't actually religious. The theocracy is, is actually really just, you know, the universities and the media and, and creating this, this religion of, it's a secular, it's a secular atheistic religion, right? It's not a religion that, it's not a deist religion or anything like that. It's a secular and atheistic religion. And they believe in environmentalism and equality. They're very egalitarian. They believe in equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. They also they also believe in you know feminism, racism. They they have all these these issues that they they want to just whine in, for lack of a better term. They want to just constantly complain and just just constantly whine about the world saying they come up with all these problems that they think exist whether they really do or not and this is ultimately their religion and then so the me so that the universities indoctrinate and then those people go off into big corporations, your CEOs, your executives. They go work on the big corporations. They go to the media. And then the media, again, the media has one of the mo- is one of the most powerful institutions. Granted, I know it's, it's, it's not one institution. There's a lot of different private companies that are engaged in the media. But the big major ones are largely all controlled by the governments. You know, they believe in the narrative because the people that work there are progressives. They've been indoctrinated since, you know, college. Even probably even before that, they were indoctrinated. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where the real power of the United States, where it really is. It's in the universities. The real power in anywhere is in education and the media. That I don't care what country you are in, that's where the power lies. Yes, there is real power in the Federal Reserve. You have control of the money supply. It doesn't matter what the laws are. That is true. But what's also true is you want to manipulate the culture. You want to manipulate and change the way people think. You do it on the education level. You educate people from a very young age. And then you continue to perpetuate the lies, the message, the narrative, and the media. That's the theocracy. And the oligarchy is largely just big corporations in bed with freaking big government. That's the oligarchy. It's dangerous. It's sad that that's where we are today. But ladies and gentlemen, look, this virus was not 
anything that we ever needed to be worried about. And, and, and here, the WHO even came out and said, here, here's another article. This is from the fee.org Foundation for Economic Education. Wonderful website. Absolutely love it. And it says, Dr. David Nabarro, the WHO's special envoy on COVID-19, told Spectator UK's Andrew Neal last week that politicians have been wrong in using lockdowns as the primary control method to combat COVID-19. Really? You don't say? I mean, weren't you guys the ones who came out, like, oh, I don't know, five, six months ago, basically saying that lockdowns are necessary. We have to prevent the spread. We got to slow it down. You know, we got we recommend that all governments around the world basically, you know, engage in lockdowns. You know, for, for those of you guys who don't know, you know what the who is? It's just a bunch of people sitting around doing studies, getting paid by governments to do studies that support what the governments want them to say. Or getting paid by, you know, private institutions that are heavily invested in the government doing very well and maintaining power and control. Either way, the money, I mean, that's all the WHO does. The WHO doesn't actually do anything. They have no real significance. They just can, they, all they do is they list their opinion of what they think about stuff. They list their opinion. They list studies. They can issue recommendations. That's, that's the extent of it. But ladies and gentlemen, the WHO itself receives a whole bunch of money from politicians, from governments, from, again, private institutions that are heavily invested in government, and they, they receive all this money to do studies that have the outcomes that, that the government official, whoever is paying them, that, that has the outcomes that they want. That's what all this is. You know, I mean, you, you saw this with environmentalism, too. There is all these articles out there that basically state that, you know, oh yeah, environmentalism, we're going to, you know, we're going to, New York City and California are going to be all underwater and, you know, oh, we're going to be in the next ice age and all this kind of stuff. And there were all these different studies and mathematical models and all this kind of stuff that was out there that was in effect basically trying to tell people that, um, you know, if we don't take care of environmentalism, it's going to be the end of the world. But what was really going on was... Who, no one was looking at where the money for those studies were coming from. You think those people just did it out of the goodness of their own heart? No, they, they have to provide money to their families. They need grants. So they were paying, you know, people at universities, people at different, you know, publications, companies that maybe write articles and stuff and do studies. They were paying them to basically come out with these studies that specifically stated what they wanted it to stay. And they wanted it to stay that it was that environmentalism was the cause of people. Now, if you really actually now, there's a lot of other people that disagree with this as well. This is not a completely decided on field. There were many experts. There were many scientists who actually themselves came out and stated that ultimately there is very little evidence to suggest that humans are the primary cause of, of, of climate change. Look, climate change does happen, okay? The climate is always changing. It always will. That's just the nature of the earth. I mean, you guys, have you got, I mean, you guys I'm sure, have heard of salt lands, right? You know, flat lands, people like to take their cars out and drive them on that, on that land and stuff. I mean, it used to be a big, massive body of water. Well, what happened? Well, the water dried up. The climate changed. The climate always changed. It always changes. And ultimately, it's a natural thing, one that humans have very little effect on. That's my personal belief on it. And there are plenty of experts out there that support that statement. But the fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, is that the WHO is not some special organization. 
you know, you can't trust hardly anything that comes out of what they say most of the time, but you need to understand why they say what they're saying. They are a narrative propaganda machine. That's what they are. They are a propaganda machine that is paid off by the U.S. government, by many governments, to basically promote whatever propaganda that they want. But basically, here's what Dr. David Nabarro says. He says that lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Really? You don't say. You, you just, just now realizing that, Dr. Nabarro? Clearly, your doctorate degree was a waste of money. You really should go and ask for a refund. He, Dr. Ryan, director of the WHO's Health Emergencies Program, offered a similar statement, saying, What we want to try to avoid, and sometimes it's unavoidable, and we accept that, but what we want to try and avoid is these massive lockdowns that are so punishing to communities, to society, and to everything else, said Dr. Ryan, speaking at a briefing in Geneva. Again, Dr. Ryan, I, 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 I you know, you really need to go ask for your money back. Clearly, your doctorate did not teach you common sense. Clearly, your doctorate did you no, no, no really good service at all. I mean, this, this is absurd. You couldn't have figured this out before the lockdown? You're basically a shill. You're corrupt. The reason you, you, you Dr. Nabarro, Dr. Ryan, bunch of corrupt cronies is what they are. They were paid to, to, in effect, to promote this idea of COVID-19, to promote the idea of lockdowns, and then now they're backtracking because the narrative, the powers that be, the power that pays them the money, right, is shifting. They don't want to continue to promote this because there's an election. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll continue this thing and we'll get, we'll get into this. But look, they want people to get out and vote. And if you continue to preach this idea that this is a killer virus out there that's going to kill you or it could kill your grandparents or whatever, that in the end, no one's going to get out to vote. No one's going to do that, and they don't want everyone to be doing the, 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 the you know, mail-in ballots. They don't want that. So now, and at one point in time, it was both the Republicans and the Democrats that were both saying they did not want the mail-in ballots. I think now the Democrats have reversed on that. And now, of course, now the Republicans say, you know, the Democrats want it. I mean, look, here's the truth. They act like there's two different parties. They act like they hate each other. The truth is they don't. The truth is it's just one party. The truth is, is that these people, they go out to dinner with each other. They have drinks with each other. They go hang out at the gym and whatnot. They're the ruling class. The only reason that they make it look like they're so opposed in the public eye is because it's a game. It's a charade. It's theater. And voting is no different. Voting is an illusion that makes you feel like you have power, like you have control when you do not. Voting is a waste of time. You're never going to get anywhere by voting. The system is set up to not benefit you, and voting isn't going to change that. Voting just makes you feel like you have a say, and it feels like you got control, but in reality, you, you don't. You know what the whole institution around voting really is? It's to keep the populace divided. It's to make them feel, first and foremost, like they have power, like they actually have a say in something, so that it gives them that illusion of power that illusion of control, and that keeps the populace subdued. But it also has an, a, another factor to it. 
And that is it keeps the populace fighting amongst themselves, saying that my side's right, you need to vote for my side. No, your side's right, you need to vote for my side. And ultimately, it's just this big, you know, team sport mentality. It's basically tribalism is what it is. They have created two, you know, two different tribes, the Republicans and the and tribe Democrats. And ultimately, tribe R and tri is fighting tribe D. And if you don't support tribe R, you're in effect going to kill the nation and you're a terrible person. Well, tribe D says that if you don't support tribe D and you don't vote for us, then again, you, you, again same thing. You're going to kill the nation. You're a terrible person. The alternative, the, the other reason why voting exists is not just to subdue you, to make you think that you have power and control when you have none. The other reason is to keep you fighting, keep the people fighting amongst themselves because when the people really realize that the whole thing is a charade, the system will end. When people start to not believe in the system, that's when it will end. A lot of people want to, you know, they talk about this with the American dollar all the time. They try to say, well, you know, with all this debt, with all, you know, the American dollar, the currency of America, it's not backed by gold. It's not backed by anything. You know, what keeps this dollar afloat with all this kind of debt? It's awful. Well, what really keeps it afloat more so than anything else is subjective, the theory of subjective value, which is a theory that Ludwig von Mises came up with. You know, people value the U.S. dollar for all kinds of different subjective reasons. That's why things are valuable. We determine that something is valuable based off of what we think. It has nothing to do with any intrinsic or extrinsic value. That's all the reason that Bitcoin has value. It's a series of ones and zeros, and yet it's, it's all digital, and yet it has value. Why? Because we subjectively deem that it does. There are valuable things that people believe that Bitcoin possesses, different features that gives it value. Okay, And the U.S. dollar is really no different. The reason that it still survives today is because people believe in it. For whatever reason, right or wrong, it, it, that is irrelevant. We can argue about that all day long. It doesn't matter. As long as the people believe in the system and they believe in the government, believe in the currency, it will continue to, to survive. It all comes to an end when the people no longer believe in the system anymore. They no longer believe in the government anymore. They no longer believe in the elected officials. They no longer believe in the currency anymore. They, they just They no longer believe it. You know, Louis von Mises constantly said that this was largely due to money printing, that this money, endless, limitless money printing is in effect what would cause this, that eventually the people would understand that as, as money printing continues and the government continues to print more and more money and they don't see an end in sight, that's when ultimately people stop believing in the currency and then the currency will die. But it also hasn't escalated to the point of it being painful. It's painful, but it's not painful enough yet. And it would have to be painful enough to make people actually pay attention to it and then start to come to realize where it's really going. And then that would that that would basically contribute to the belief in or the, the loss in belief of the system. But th that said, though, that's just an example, right? The fact of the matter is that as long as you think that you have some control and that you can vote in your guy or your girl and you can have some say in it, as long as you feel like the system is set up to benefit you and that the, the government officials are just our loyal servants. No, they're not. They're our overlords. They're the ruling class. They're the power brokers. And they work in tandem with big corporations, with the media. You know, they work in tandem with all of them 
and other institutions as well in different industries and, and whatnot, different sectors of the economy, to benefit each other. But guess what? That doesn't that don't benefit us. It's not going to benefit you. It's not going to benefit me. Okay? It just isn't. In the end, we are going to get screwed. But there is a way to not get screwed, ladies and gentlemen. There is. I know this sounds depressing. You know, but I just, I wanted to talk about The Who because I thought that this is incredible. The fact that The Who is actually coming out is something that needs to be talked to me, talking about. I mean, they're, they're attacking lockdowns. They're, they're saying that, well, you know, it's no, the fatality rate is 0.14%. It's, it's really no deadlier than the flu, the seasonal flu. This is a shifting in the narrative. You are being manipulated. Okay. This is, if nothing else, this whole COVID-19 thing has been one big massive lesson of how to create a cult, how to subdue and how to influence people, how to get people to be emotional. And when they become really emotional, they become irrational. You can control them. It's an example of control. It's a good example of control. Ladies and gentlemen, the country was heavily controlled. The government took a big leap forward in power and influence. It, it wasn't a positive thing, but it had nothing to do with the virus. The virus existed, yes, but it didn't. But the, the the fear was manufactured. You have been deceived. You've been lied to, and you have every right to be mad. And you should be mad. But le- but look, there's a way out of a lot of this, right? It's not all doom and gloom. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we are living in the best time in human history to live. We really truly are. There's a lot of stuff to be to be excited about. I mean, the internet, the ability that it's never been easier to create your own business. And I know you're like, oh, Matthew, here he goes. He's going to start pitching his financial freedom. He's going to start pitching his, you need to become a business owner and an entrepreneur. Well, yeah, th- that's the whole point of the show. The whole point of the show is to get you guys to understand that you're not going to change the world through voting. You're going to change the world by taking control of the source of your income and becoming truly free. That's the point of the show. Of course I'm going to preach it because I believe it. Look, we are living in some of the greatest times in human history. We can actually choose to do the things that we love. Not what we have to do. You know, there are so many people... Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day. There's was, was more or less saying what I'm saying right now. And they were saying that, you know, we live in a time where you can actually choose to do something because you want to. Not because you have to. Ladies and gentlemen, how many people today in America, in Western culture in general, in the world, are doing jobs not necessarily because they want to, not necessarily because they even enjoy the jobs, but they're doing those jobs because... They have to. It's the only way they can survive. The number is the vast majority of the world. That's the answer. The truth is, the vast majority of people out there are doing jobs they don't even like. They could get paid very well for those jobs. Doesn't mean they like it. Right? The vast majority of people don't do jobs because it's what they love. But guys, we are in an age where you can do that. You can actually do what you love every day, get paid handsomely for it, and live a life that others envy. And if you don't care if people envy your life, look, the fact remains is you can live a life of true freedom and, and you can do what you love each and every day. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing? We can all do it. 
You can do it. I, I, I'm trying to do it right now. I'm attempting it, right? I am living out and, become, and embodying what I believe. I am trying to become the embodiment of my beliefs, the embodiment of my fears. I actually said this on um, Twitter and Parler the other day, which guys, by the way, if you want to get connected with me, I'm trying to grow a, a big following on both Twitter and Parler. It's a really, really great place to, to, to come in and get involved and, and start to participate in the conversation and stuff. So go follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Matthew Spazzitti and Parler, uh, same handle. If you want to know how to spell Spaziti, uh, it, you know it's in the it's in the title of the show, so you can just copy and paste it if you want to do that. But um, you know, basically, I said, I, gosh, I'm trying to. I basically said this last night, and I said that you can't change the minds. You know, changing the minds of people is a fruitless venture. You cannot change the mind of people who don't want their minds changed. All you can do is focus on yourself and become the embodiment of what you believe. That's what I'm doing today. You see, I believe in this in the freedom of the individual, the sovereignty of the individual. I believe that you don't become happy by being a collective. In the collective, your needs, your wants, and your desires, as subjective as they are, are totally thrown out. No one cares. And in the end, ladies and gentlemen, we as individuals need to pursue our own interests. And if you and I believe there's a difference between self-interest and selfishness, right? Selfishness means you get you get what you want, but you're hurting other people in the process. Self-interest means you get what you want, but you're lifting up everybody else in the process. You're lifting up the people around you. You're lifting up the people that are buying your products and services. That's what I truly believe. It's a beautiful thing. It really truly is. And ladies and gentlemen, it is our job to not focus on voting and politics and stuff like that, but it's, it's our job to understand how we're being manipulated, to understand what's really going on in the world, and ultimately to start ch- taking charge of our life, to start, again, to start doing what we want to do, to start living the life that we always wanted to live, a life of freedom, a life of prosperity. And we can do that. We live in one of the greatest times in human history. We have the internet. We have, you know, personal computers. We've got streaming services. We can do this anywhere we want in the world. It's never been easier to become financially free than it is today in the 21st century. It's never been easier. You know, it's never been. Yeah, it's it's not easy, but it's never been easier, Right? You can literally do a podcast almost entirely for free, for very, very little. I mean, you can spend 60 bucks on a mic that connects to your iPhone. You can, um, you know, basically, you can go to certain podcasting hosting services out there that literally will host your podcast, quite frankly, for free. And you can get a, a free you know, uh, video recording software, a visual uh, screen recording software for your computer. You can get free ones. I mean, it's some pretty cool stuff. You can do this with very little amount of money, right? You can have a website for free. I mean, if you're willing to go to Weebly or something of that nature, you can have, it'll it'll be whatever the website name is, .weebly.com, but you can do it for free. You know, and there are other, there are other, I just mentioned Weebly because I, I've, I have used them in the past. I used them for a college course way, way, way back in the day when I was a, uh, early childhood education major. But that said, you know, you can do it, right? 
um, you could have a, a website for free. You can do a podcast, not for free, but you could do it pretty, pretty close to very, very cheap. You know, you can build a business for very little amount of money. And the, because the cost of entry is so low, the risk is incredibly low for you, lower than it's been in, in a long time. And I think that's pretty pr- pretty cool. So guys, look, I think we're living in one of the greatest moments in human history. I think there's a lot to be looking forward to. And after this crash happens, I think we're going to dive deeper into this recession coming into 2021. And I think that ultimately it's going to get worse. But when we come out of it, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. should be. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity if you're just willing to open your eyes and, and be consider and to even keep your eyes peeled and consider it. That said though, you know, we need to go ahead and end the show. This has been a great show so far and I've been, I'm super excited. I've been very, I'm very happy to do it guys. You know, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to pitch a few things and uh, then we're going to head out. So guys, uh, you know, if you like the show, if you like the content I'm doing here, you know, please consider leaving me a rating and review on iTunes. Guys, that is one of the most important things you guys can do for the show. If you really love the content and you love what I'm doing, go to iTunes and leave me a rating review. It helps my show get on the map. It helps, you know, me get in the listings and stuff on iTunes and whatnot. So if you're interested, if you're, if you want to help me grow the show, you like this message of financial freedom, you like what I'm doing here, then hey. Go consider going and giving me a rating review. On top of that, guys, if you want to contribute to the show and you don't necessarily want to do it via you know any affiliate links or anything like that, then hey, consider donating money to the show, you know, uh, and and consider helping me spread this message of financial freedom to as anyone that will listen. You know, in all honesty, ladies and gentlemen, that's ultimately what I want to do. I want to spread this message of financial freedom to the to to the world, if we, to everyone, as many people as we can get to listen. I think it's a beautiful message. It would really improve a lot of people's lives. It's improved my life. I know it will improve yours. So if you want to help me and you want to contribute to that message, you want to help contribute to the show, then hey, consider giving a donation. And uh, yeah, I, again, that would it, you guys are awesome and I would really love that. And it would, uh, it would be a huge compliment. It really would. And uh, yeah, you would be helping me coming in here, producing this great content for you guys all the time. That said, guys, you know, if you like the show, please make sure to share it. Hit that share button no matter where you are. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're on Twitter, hit the follow button. Wherever you guys are at, make sure to share the show and make sure to subscribe and follow me. You know, I always like to say if you like the show, odds are someone else is going to like it too in your life. So please share it with your friends, share it with your family members, share it with anyone you think needs to hear the message. I think that it's a great, it's a great show. And uh, you know, if you think so too, then Hey, get out there, share it. And also if you want to follow me, go to locals.com. It's a free group that we're putting together there. It's pretty cool. We got a, a, a number of people in there so far. It's it's pretty nice. If you if you go there, you'll make sure to tell me who you are. Tell me what your aspirations are, what you are doing to try to become financially free. And if you also want to get direct access to me, not only locals.com, but Twitter and Parler are another great places to go. So guys, go there, hit the follow button and, uh, and join me in the conversation of the pursuit for financial freedom. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about some affiliate programs. Guys, there is, as always, Tier 1 Trading. Tier 1 Trading, in my personal opinion, is the number one resource and a trading coach platform. Guys, these guys are absolutely transparent. They're amazing. They're going to teach you a lot in Forex trading. If you guys are interested in Forex trading, Tier 1 Trading is the place to go. They're absolutely amazing. You know, they teach you so much stuff. Guys, over the years that I've learned from them, 
you know, from guys like uh, Jason Greystone, Charles Miles, Akil Stokes. You know, I mean, they have taught me so much. They talk about technical analysis, how to create a trading strategy, how to backtest that trading strategy. And one of the best things about trading, ladies and gentlemen, is that you can create money. You can generate real wealth, real income, and you don't have to sell a product or service to anybody. It's absolutely amazing. It really is. If you want to become financially free, but you don't really want to sell anything to somebody and you're interested in trading and the financial world and that stuff, then hey, check out tier one trading, check out Forex trading. It's absolutely amazing. I am currently on my journey to becoming a consistently profitable trader. And I have to say, it's a very rewarding thing to do. I think it's a skill learning price charts and stuff. I think it's a skill that largely everybody needs to know about. I think it would really benefit a lot of people because most of the money, most people have money in the stock market. Most people are invested in 401ks and things of that nature. That's where they have their investments and whatnot. If you got money in the market in any which way, shape or form, you need to understand price charts. You need to understand how to predict where the market's going to go. You need to understand this kind of stuff. So if you if you're interested, go check them out. You won't be upset that you did it. They're really really great. They're they're not unethical. They're not bad. They're going to they're not going to turn you down the wrong path. They're awesome guys and they're going to help you learn that skill of forex trading. And they'll help you learn it as fast as you possibly can. So guys, that said, you know, if you are interested in um you know, getting a skill and investing in your own human capital, then go check out Skillshare. Guys, Skillshare is a great learning platform. They have tons, thousands of courses on there, ranging from, you know, trading, investing, you know, ranging from, <laughs> they also got stuff like uh, flying drones, email copywriting, they've got YouTube ad videos, they got all kinds of stuff, guys. It's it's really great. If you, they have coding stuff, if you ever wanted to learn how to code, it's you can get information on that there, you can get courses there. The courses are very high quality in my personal opinion. I've taken a few of them. I really like them. I still have a subscription to them to this day. They're absolutely amazing. Guys, it's dirt cheap. If you are struggling with money, okay, Skillshare will give you a month for free. In most cases, sometimes it's better than that. And what Skillshare is going to do is you're only, they're going to only charge you like $99 for the whole year right? It's not expensive at all. It's really cheap and there's really no reason. Guys, they're going to give you like a month free, okay? You can learn a lot in a month, you know, instead of maybe listening to your radio, instead of, you know, watching TV at night when you're done with work, maybe consider if you're in dire straits and you really need a new skill. And look, I think we all should be constantly reinvesting ourselves anyways. I don't think that should be ever anything that we ever stop. But guys, you, I mean, Skillshare is one of the greatest places to go. You know, the court, go there, you know, get the courses, start learning, start investing in your own human capital. And you can do it for a very, very little amount of money. All right. It, it's an absolutely amazing, amazing place. If you want to invest in your own skills and become a better person than you are today, then go to Skillshare.com, invest in your freedom and start learning, start educating yourself, get out there, start getting new ideas. If you don't know what you want to do to become financially free, Skillshare is a great place to go. You can check out a lot of different courses and you can learn a lot of different cool stuff that might actually inspire you to, um, you know, create your own business doing, doing something that you found on Skillshare. So guys, go check them out. They're absolutely amazing. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, with all this money printing that's going on, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a fair question to ask what, where's that money going to go? What's going to happen with it all? And are we going to see monetary devaluation? That's what I like to call inflation. Guys, inflation is the increase in the monetary supply, which can cause if, circulated, it can cause a general increase in prices. Are we going to see that? See, most people just think 
a general increase in prices is what inflation is. And it's, it's really not, you know, inflation is the increase in the monetary supply that can lead to, you know, a general increase in prices. That said though, what's going to happen with all this money? We got money that's being printed, that's being you know ejected into the bond market. That, that's also flowing into the stock market. We got money that's being given to people, literally $1,200 checks given to people, $2,400. If you, if you're married, and even more if you've got kids, you know, and they're even talking about doing another one. Look, they're going to do another one. And then the Fed is even talking about creating this little app where they can inject money into people's accounts directly. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when you create money out of thin air, which is what inflation is, and you start injecting it into the economy, injecting directly into the people's pockets, and they just go start spending it. It's going to cause prices to rise. It absolutely will. And they want, And there are a few things that you guys can do to protect your wealth. Because if you got your money in a savings account, if you got your money in an investing account, look, I think it's a good idea to have a certain percentage in a savings account, you know, for emergency purposes, things of that nature. I, I That's what I do. But, and again, that's not a personal recommendation to you, but, you know, that that's what I do. I, I have a certain percentage of, of the, the money that we make and I, I put it into a savings and whatnot. But that said, though, it's a good idea to have something that hedges against inflation, something that ultimately, you know, tracks with inflation. And guys, one of the best things that you can do for that is you can get into cryptocurrency, you can get into real estate, but another one that I really like is 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 basically precious metals. I have some silver on myself. I'm constantly building my silver portfolio and you know, it's a great way as to have that insurance, that extra hedge against inflation. Now, it doesn't track with inflation perfectly. But it does go up when the money starts to devalue, when it starts not being worth nearly as much, it's really helpful to have some assets on hand that can rise with that value and you can protect some of your wealth. It's a really great thing to do, guys. So, hey, if you're interested in that, go check out Money Metals Exchange. Ladies and gentlemen, Money Metals Exchange is a great place to go buy silver. I use it to this day and I love them. They got a great variety of different like silver coins and stuff. It's really not that expensive. You know, go check them out. Not only will they sell coins to you, they will also buy buy the coins as well. And you can, it can be a place where you can actually sell your coins and make some money too. So not only are they a place for you to buy them, you can also liquidate your, your, your silver with them as well. So it's really cool stuff. It really is great. So if you're interested in building up that portfolio and getting that hedge against inflation and whatnot, go check out Money Metals Exchange. Uh, there is one little caveat. Look, the, the link I'm going to link to, I'm going to give you guys in the show notes below. It's not an affiliate link. It's a normal link that'll just send you to their website. What I want you to do is that if you are a new customer and you've never purchased from them before, when you do make your first purchase with them, tell them that I sent them your way. Tell them that it was Matthew Spazidi. I'm a customer with them. And when you do that, we will both get a free silver coin. Okay. So we not, not only will you buy and you get whatever you bought, but you'll also get an extra silver coin on top of it. And I will as well, guys, these are great deals. I love it when we both win this way. I love this kind of stuff. I mean, look, when I recommend you guys stuff, I I, I recommend it because I think you guys are going to heavily benefit from the stuff in general. But this is also another thing where you get something for free and I get something for free and it's really cool. I think it's a really, really great program and it, it just, you know, every little bit helps. So if you guys are interested in that, you know, go check them out. Again, you have to be a new customer and you have to mention my name. Okay. It's not an affiliate link that tracks anything. It's just a normal link. It's a referral program. It's what they call it. So, all right. 
Well, that is going to be the end of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Again, like I said, if you did, leave me a rating review on iTunes and make sure to share it. And yeah, if you guys would do all that for me, I will see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.